Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked on Bills. You are locked on Bills. Your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms. And conditions apply. Well, folks, time for a little herd mentality here. Wanted to make sure I worked that into our week. And um, it's Friday, so I figured I got to get it in or else we won't. So let's do it. Got some great stuff to get into. A lot of questions about wide receivers, and I totally understand those. So let's get into it. First one here comes from Brandon Bean Season, who says, you always said something along the lines of Gabe Davis's production was based on opportunity rather than volume. There was a limit to what production he could produce despite the volume of targets. Do you feel the same about Khalil Shakir? Could a massive volume increase correlate to production without the major drop-off in efficiency? I think this is a great point. And entering 2022, one of my big talking points going into that season was Gabe Davis stepping into the number two role and Isaiah McKenzie stepping into the number three role and those not really being roles that either had ever filled and I was concerned about that. I was concerned that you can't just take what was accomplished in a small sample size and extrapolate it over a big sample size and assume that the production stays the same as the opportunity grows, right? It just doesn't work that way. But this is what I'll say about Khalil Shakir versus Gabe Davis. I think Shakir's skill set is drastically more attractive than Gabe Davis. Route running, hands, yards after catch, lateral movement skills, it's just far better. And so I'm looking for Khalil Shakir moving forward to be around an 80-target-a-year guy for this offense. That's about five targets per game on average. He had 45 targets in 2023, caught 39 of them. And so I think there's room for that. And so as I very loosely spitball here in early February as to what the target distribution could look like next year. I'm thinking something like this. Stefan Diggs, 140 targets. Dalton Kincaid, 100. Khalil Shakir, 80. 
this new awesome wide receiver that we're going to draft in the first round, he's going to get 70. James Cook around 50. Dawson Knox around 40. And I think you have the room to do that because Gabe Davis leaving, that frees up 81 targets year over year. That's how many targets he got last season. And then that takes about 20 targets away from Stefan Diggs, which allows us to bump up Shakir significantly, gives Kincaid a little bit of a bump. And then you have this new receiver that he's going to be awesome. I just know it. Uh, he's going to come in and command some market share as well. So that's kind of how I see that going. But I do feel like the skill set of Khalil Shakir gives me a whole lot more confidence in considering what it looks like with more opportunity. That gives me a lot of hope. And I'm still kind of leaving Khalil Shakir in that third, fourth option bucket, right? That's not, that's different than where Gabe Davis was. Gabe Davis went from like a number four to a number two. I'm still kind of keeping Khalil Shakir in that same range, but just giving him a lot more volume because you're still going to have Diggs and Kincaid and another meaningful receiver plus James Cook to really make this all work. Next one comes from Aiden who says, I know we all want an early round receiver in the draft in April. But I personally want a bargain bin value veteran signing at wide receiver as well. We tried doing that with Deontay Hardy and Trent Shurfield this year, but it didn't work out at all. So here are some free agents that I would want that fit the bill, in my opinion. And Aiden lists Curtis Samuel, Tyler Boyd, DJ Chark, Josh Reynolds, Devin Duvernay, Darnell Mooney, and KJ Osborne, and asked me, what do I think? Well, it's going to come down to money. You know, the Bills are probably, when it's all said and done, going to have a pretty small amount of cap space to work with, maybe $15, $20 million. And so I don't know that a lot of these players that you have listed here are going to fit within what the Bills can actually do in terms of bringing in a veteran receiver. I think you got some guys here that might be like $10 million a year receivers. Now, there's some attractive guys here. Devin Duvernay might be the best value, right, in terms of what realistically he's going to command. He gives you that punt kick return ability. Hasn't produced much as a receiver, but has been flashy, young guy. He's attractive. But I, all of these other guys could be seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven million dollar a year receivers. And that's where it gets a little bit challenging for me. I think you got some names here that make sense, like a Darnell Mooney, like a KJ Osborne. You know, Curtis Samuel has familiarity with Joe Brady from their time together in Carolina. And of course, I think there's some overlap there as well with Sean McDermott. So I, I get it, but this just might not be the type of values, the type of bargains that are ultimately going to be there. Perhaps a very good wide receiver draft opens up the door for some of these guys to maybe not get what they're looking for and you can fit them in your own terms. But I just wonder about being able to fit these types of players in. Again, I think Devin Duvernay might be the guy that is the most attractive in terms of what he brings to the table, plus where I think that contract could land. But I mean, Curtis Samuel, Darnell Mooney, those could be $10 million a year players very easily. Tyler Boyd, same type of thing. So that's what's going to be challenging about this. And I haven't fully studied the wide receiver crop of free agents yet to really say, okay, I think these are going to be the the bargain players that the Bills should target. I, I definitely plan on diving into the tape and and making sure that I'm ready to have those conversations. But I don't know that this list is really going to be the the ballpark that the Bills are able to play in. 
Gadil says, would you like Kendrick Bourne's skill set on this team? So Kendrick Bourne uh, came up with the 49ers, spent the last few years with the Patriots, has been very flashy, was having a great season last year. I think he had like 400 yards in eight games or something like that on a bad Patriots offense. And now he's a a free agent. He played through his three-year, $15 million contract with the Patriots, and now he's hitting the market. And he's not hitting the market healthy, right? That's that's the issue with Kendrick Bourne. He's got a likable skill set. There's a competitive nature about him. There's ball skills. There's body control that I like about Kendrick Bourne. But he's a 28-year-old wide receiver that is already a below-average athlete. His RAS score is a 496, so he's very much a below-average athlete. 28 years old, and he tore his ACL in Week 8. And we've seen their recovery from ACLs with the Bills, right? Whether it's Trey White, whether it's Von Miller. Think about like Harrison Phillips and him coming back from the knee injury. It just doesn't always manifest itself well in year one. And so, to me, that could be a risky contract. And, and again, the Bills have such limited resources to to hand out this year on, on to free agents that can you really have risks, right? Like you need to get returns on your free agent dollars that you invest. And so unless this is like a one year, $1.77 million Trent Sherfield type deal, I don't know that I'm interested in giving Kendrick Bourne a market contract based on him being 28 coming off of an ACL tear and already being an athletically deficient receiver when he was you know tested at the combine was very below average on on what was supposed to be the most athletic day of his life now he's 28 coming off of an ACL pair that gives me some some major concern all right we got more wide receiver stuff to talk about and some defensive ideas so be sure to stick with me are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is always updated. Your assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect midsize crossover for your next adventure. The 2024 Nissan Armada will change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Armada. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, folks, next one here comes from Chris. Chris says, just got done listening to your pod about the Joe Brady hire. The thing that caught my ear was your talk about Justin Shorter. I agree with you that Bills fans who are expecting Shorter to come in and be DK Metcalf are going to be very disappointed. I've been ta- thinking about a lot about his potential role on the team next year. Do you think he could sort of be this team's newer version of Jake Kumaro? That is a big-bodied receiver who can block downfield on run and pass plays as well as play good on special teams. You mentioned in your pod that Justin Shorter looked pretty rough on special teams in the preseason, but didn't he have a lot of success or experience doing that in college? I personally think going the Kumaro route for Shorter is his best chance to make the team, especially with some of our other blockers at the position, being free agents in Shurfield and Gabe. 
I'm not ready to guarantee him a roster spot or anything, but I feel like this is probably his clearest path to making the team next year. Am I crazy? I'd like to hear your thoughts on my items. All right, so yeah, I think you're exactly right, Chris. The path for Justin Shorter, in my opinion, is a wide receiver five, Jake Kumaro type. Can you provide special teams play as a depth receiver? Can you offer size and that translate to blocking ability? And you know he's got some straight line speed and maybe some ability to occasionally win down the field, right? I think that's the type of receiver we're looking at with a Justin Shorter. And I, I think that's kind of his upside. I think that's what he can give you as a wide receiver five. I'm not really looking at Justin Shorter and counting on a whole lot there. And I know that there's some fans out there that fall for these receivers all the time with the Bills, whether it was like Mike or Mike Williams in the past or uh, just like these big bodied guys that have very incomplete skill sets and are very raw when it comes to playing the position. And boy, oh boy, did we see that from Justin Shorter in camp and in preseason, just a guy that's very rigid with how he runs routes, how he attacks the football. And what was very disappointing to me was the special teams that he showed in the preseason. And he did have some experience at Florida um, playing special teams in 2020 and 2021. He was part of the kick and uh, punt coverage units, which is good. It's good for him to have that experience, but he's got to be able to execute in the NFL. And so I think he's a guy that has a long ways to go. He's a career underachiever, right? Never really came to fruition as a prize recruit to Penn State. Didn't make it happen at Florida either. And so I think we got to get our expectations in the right place on Justin Shorter uh, because I, I get questions, like a lot of questions about Justin Shorter and is this a DK Metcalf type? Is this a Mike Evans type? And I'm like, pump the brakes, people. You're talking about a top 10 talent of Mike Evans and a top 10 talent in DK Metcalf that fell to the end of the second round due to you know some injury concerns with his neck. And Justin Shorter is just a very raw football player. He's certainly you know built like Adonis, strong, right? He's got big old muscles and he can run fast in a straight line, but there's so much more to it than that. And I think if you watched Justin Shorter throughout camp and preseason last year, and, and of course, even more at Florida, you realize that this is a pretty rigid player that, that needs a lot of work. So yeah, I think wide receiver five type path is the, the best case scenario for a Justin Shorter. And if he can have a, a Jake Kumaro type impact in career, I think that'd be a big win for him. Next one here comes from Andrew. Andrew says, if, and that's a big if, Trey White's recovery goes well, do you think there's any merit to revisiting the Benford to safety idea, whether it's a long-term shift, one-year stopgap, or a sub-package wrinkle? Secondary could then feature Rasul and Trey outside with Elam as a backup, then Benford and Poyer at safety and Taron in the slot, likely with day two or three, day three picks mixed in as depth. It feels like suboptimal usage for Benford as an individual but an optimal lineup for the secondary to maximize the talent on the field. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Struggle with this a lot. I'm not going to lie. Um, Benford is, to me, the most logical current defensive back on the team to make the switch to safety. In fact, I, I might even argue that he might be the only one that makes a lot of sense to me. He's got the instincts. He's got the ball skills. He's got the tackling ability. He's willing to be physical. Here's the problem. Christian Benford is also your best young cornerback, right? Like, I think it's very clear. The best young cornerback on this team is Christian Benford. You're going to move that to safety? That's where I struggle with it. That's really where I struggle with it because then you're looking at Rasul Douglas and Trey White at corner. That seems good, but it also seems a little risky, right? Rasul Douglas, north of 30, not an athletic corner to begin with. 
Trey White, multiple injuries here in, in, in two of the last three seasons. It's been a journey for him to get back from there. It's been a long time since we've seen Trey White perform with consistency at the level that you know we we want to see from him, right? So that's what's challenging. And then Elam is a total wild card. So yeah, I I have some reservations about moving your best young corner to safety, especially when considering the aging and injury prone nature of what you'd be relying on at corner. So it's challenging for me, but this is what I keep coming back to in this whole safety conversation, right? There's a lot of new dynamics there. Uh, Taylor Rapp, Micah Hyde, Cam Lewis, all expiring contracts. Jordan Poyer is under contract for this coming season, but his contract is very um, favorable for the team if they want to get out of it. So, when it comes to the safety position in Sean McDermott, I just kind of trust that he's going to figure things out because he always has Philly, Carolina, Buffalo. He's always figured it out at safety. And he's also had a long history of getting guys that didn't have much pedigree to perform at a high level, whether that's uh, Mike Mitchell or Ramon Humber or, or excuse me, Roman Harper, not Ramon Humber, but that is another good example. But at linebacker, Mike, Hyde, Jordan Poyer, those guys were, Bargain bin free agents, maybe more Poyer than Hyde, but Hyde was never really a full-time player. They never was offered a contract extension with the Packers. You know, there's just a long history of him doing this and figure this out. So um, I'm going to push back on any idea that the Bills should draft a safety in the first round or, you know, throw the bag at some free agent. I, I don't think that's the necessary path to get, you know, quality safety play. I just don't think it is. So there's, there's a lot to sort out there. I just kind of trust that Sean McDermott's going to do it. And while Christian Benford is the most logical transition to safety corner, he's also your best young corner. So there's a lot there that you got to have to figure out. Bart says, with the top team seemingly playing more 13 and 12 personnel on offense, the Bills seem well positioned to take advantage of that. My question is, what do you need to do on defense to properly defend these packages? Do you need to bring in more JOK type linebackers, safeties who can cover, but also be comfortable in the box. Wondering if you can help me think this through. Yeah, there's there's definitely a thing here, and I've I've hinted at this a lot already in this offseason, but 12 and 13 personnel on offense, two back stuff on offense is becoming very much a league trend and, and what top offenses are doing. And Defenses are going to have to kind of figure out what to do because they they caught up to a lot of the spread stuff, and now offenses are countering with bigger people on the field. And defensively, I think there's some dynamics that are important. I think you got to be willing to play more three linebacker stuff, but I think you have to be able to play more three linebacker stuff with guys that can run and cover and play in space. Right? You need to have players at linebacker that when they do throw the football out of those heavier sets that you're not lost, right? That you do have some matchup players. I think the Bills are in good spot with that with Dorian Williams, or excuse me, with Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano. And then what you can get out of Dorian Williams as that third guy in the field, whether you want to use him as a spy, you want to blitz him a little bit, you want to, um, I think he can probably handle some coverage responsibilities. You know, there's there's some value there in, in Dorian Williams. But I think the challenge is whenever we talk about three linebackers for the Bills, it's like, well, you're going to take off Taron Johnson, your all-pro slot corner, you know, one of your best players. Well, I think what you have to do is is reimagine what you do with Taron Johnson in those moments, and I think you can kind of play him as more of a slot safety. 
So you can have your three linebackers on the field plus Taron Johnson. To me, I'm dropping a safety. That's what I'm doing. And so let's let's live in a world where it's Poyer and some other guy at safety. Maybe some other guy drops off the field. You know, Poyer plays over the top, and then you have Taron Johnson is you know a slot safety hybrid type player, right? To me, that's kind of what I would do. So I think you got to thread this needle of getting a third linebacker on the field, but also not taking Taron Johnson off. And I think you can you can certainly do that by using Taron Johnson as a safety in those situations. So I think you have to be more versatile defensively, which is not what the Bills have been. And even last offseason, you heard Bobby Babich talking about it's it, ideally you don't sub with your back seven. I think they're going to have to, I think they're going to have to reconsider that position um, or else I think they're going to have some challenges defending some of these heavier personnel packages that teams are putting on the field. So the Bills were very much ahead of the curve when it comes to leaning into the uh, the base nickel defense. And now I think they had to kind of catch up a little bit with how to manage the heavier personnel that the best offenses in the NFL are, are throwing at defenses right now. All right, we got more to get to, including some, uh, some thoughts about Bobby Babich and the play calling conversation as it relates to the defensive side of the football. And if he's not the play caller, can he really have an impact? I got a lot to say about that, so be sure to stick with me. Folks, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to be certain that you have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates, so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats right now and might not have the time or resources to hire. Well, thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy, and they even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making it that much more simple. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, I'm obsessed with DoorDash. I love it. The convenience is simply unmatched. We're all busy, especially in my household. I got a four-year-old. She's got gymnastics and dance and swim all the time. And some nights it's a little challenging for us to find time to make dinner. Well, we don't have to worry about that because we can go to the DoorDash app and order dinner and it gets dropped off right to our front door. They'll bring you food from your favorite local restaurants. They'll bring you groceries, something from the gas station, whatever you need. To bring it right to your front door. It's off the charts in terms of how it saves us time and allows us to, you know, be able to be really involved in what's going on with our daughter. So check it out. We got a deal here for you. Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23. Subject to change, terms apply. Again, that's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23. Subject to change, terms apply. All right, folks, the next one here comes from Michael. Michael says, with Eric Washington taking the Chicago job where he won't call plays and an uncertainty of play calling duties with Bobby Babbage until we're told, definitely, how much of a stamp can a coordinator put on the respective units while the head coach has the headset on game day? It's a great question, and I can totally understand why There's people would think this. I really do. But I think play calling is an important part of being a coordinator, but it's also a very small piece of the pie. I think that Bobby Babich, Eric Washington, any non-play calling coordinator has a huge opportunity 
to influence and put their stamp on a defense or an offense. First of all, you're responsible for developing the game plan. That game plan is your identity. How you want to play that game, it's up to you. That matters a lot. You're leading every single meeting. So when defense comes together for a meeting, you're that guy that's in front of that team every single day. They hear your voice every single day. And not only the players, but the staff. You're leading that defensive staff. So Bobby Babich is going to go from worrying about whatever six, seven linebackers are on the team to the entire defensive personnel. And all, all of a sudden, John Butler and Al Holcomb, you know, all these defensive assistants, they're now under Bobby Babbage, right? So you're, you're leading the staff, you're leading the players. The only thing you're really not doing is calling the plays, but you're all, you are building the call sheet. I don't know if you've ever seen an NFL call sheet, but basically what it, what it is, is all the different situations, right? Uh, our first and 10 calls at each part of the field, right? So for it's first and 10 from the, from the 20 yard line, first and 10 from around the logo, first and 10 from the red zone, you know, third and third and short at different parts of the field. Like you have, like, these are our calls. This is what we, this is what's available to you. So they build out this play sheet. It's just, it's just a play caller would then say, okay, well, it's, it's third and long from the plus 40. These are the plays that we have set for this game that we like, all right, which one are we going to call, right? So, like, you develop everything except for in that moment, the play caller decides which of those options on the menu that you put together they call, right? So I think when you, when, I think when you, when you understand all of that and you, you put it together, you see, well, yeah, they, they have a huge influence. Now, I think they should be the play caller. I, I'm a big fan of that. I think coordinators should be play callers, right? If they're going to do all of that right, that we just went through, well, let them make the choice on what play to call in each situation. I think that is important. So that's a missing piece of what I think I think is important for them putting that full stamp on a unit. But there are so many other ways and so many other responsibilities outside of just picking which play call goes into, all right, this is your unit. You are running this. You are developing the, the game plan. You are developing the play sheet. You know, so that that's... That's what's at stake. But I, I'm hopeful that Bobby Babich will become the play caller as well as the coordinator for this defense. Anders says, other than fulfilling the responsibilities for the team, how do coaches like Sean McDermott get better in the offseason? Many players will seek out specialists to help with their skills or conditioning on their own personal time and money. Do head coaches do something similar? Thank you for everything. Go Bills. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways that a coach can improve in the offseason. I think starting with studying your own results and asking yourself hard questions, you know, what, what were the, what were your problems and why were they true? And what were your processes, right? Evaluate your entire operation. What went well, what didn't go well and ask yourself, okay, what went well? How do we make sure that continues to go well? What didn't go well? What about our process led to that? How can we improve, right? You're, you're never stopping evaluating what you're doing and how you can improve it. And I think the off season provides that fresh opportunity to really reflect and ask yourself hard questions. You can study leadership. I'm sure I'm surely any good head coach does that, right? Stutters studies leadership, learns how they can connect more with their players, learns how they can, you know, get through more to their players. That's that's huge. Studying league trends, all right. 
this is where we are offensively and defensively. This is what the best offenses and defenses are doing. How can we adjust? Right? It's just a big, it's a big process of self-scouting and adjusting and developing your leadership skills. And then anticipating, I think, asking yourself questions about, okay, what what are we doing and what are our opponents going to do to counter that, right? Thinking about those counter punches that are coming from your opponents. And then just with anything, you improve with time on task and experience. And so as you have more situations presented to you, you've been through more, and you can apply things to future situations. So I think it's it's all of that, but no, they're, they're not going to like lift weights and uh, you know, do conditioning and that type of stuff to help their coaching. Well, maybe they would if you're if you're happy with your fitness. Maybe that would extend to your um, how you perform with your job. But there's still a lot of different things that they can do to improve. And and I'm sure that the best coaches are very very committed to that. In addition to, they can go to coaching clinics. They can um, get. I'm sure they all have mentors. I think any good leader has mentors in their life that they lean on and ask hard questions and you know, ask for guidance and wisdom, right? And so I think you just lean into all of that during the offseason. Next one here comes from Drew, who says, which is more difficult for a football team to overcome? Cluster injuries like we had this year, where we finished the season with first stringers at many positions, but we're down to third and fourth stringers and others, or spread out injuries where you lose more starters, but don't have to dip as far into the depth at any one position. I've got a basketball, or excuse me, I've got a baseball background, and there you think the spread out injuries are worse because the drop off is bigger from first string to second string than from second to third with football being more of a team sport do you look at it the same way i think you'd want to spread them out that would be my thought um i think the high concentration of injuries at once puts a lot on a unit to figure out quickly as opposed to gradually and I think that is largely what sunk the Bills. They had too many injuries at the same time at the same positions. And that really stressed them out. And, I mean, A.J. Klein was was heading on a, a a family vacation. He's retired. And now he's starting in the divisional round of the playoffs against Mahomes, Kelsey, and Reed. I mean, what are you going to do? You, I think you, I think you would take the injuries to be spread out to allow yourself to adjust. And I think that... You saw that happen. Like the Bills had this cluster of injuries in the Miami and Jacksonville game. And then it took them like a bunch of weeks to figure out how to play without their guys. But then as they got healthy, or excuse me, as they got used to playing without those guys, they could withstand a guy here or there. And you kind of figure it out. It's hard to figure it out when all of a sudden you're, you're sinking that far into it, into your depth chart in a short amount of time, right? There's there's just reps and time on task are so important in the NFL. And when you don't have that quickly, it's tough. I think you can handle it more gradually, even if it means losing out on more of your important players, if that makes sense. But ideally, you're healthy, right? <laughs> Let's be healthy. Bill's had such good injury luck up into the last couple of seasons. And so we need that to uh we need that to change. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast and this week on the podcast. If there's some big breaking news over the weekend, you know I'll be back for you. Happened last weekend, right? There's all these coordinator things going on. I'm like, I got to get a podcast out and talk to everyone, let them know what I'm thinking. So if that goes down again, you'll hear from me again over the weekend. If not, we will continue our performance review series next week and, and really 
dive into the rest of the offensive positions, wide receiver, running back, tight end, offensive line, herd mentality, breaking news, whatever comes our way, we'll get to it next week. So be sure to make sure that you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great weekend. Go Bills. And I'll look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.